0: Chapter 10, beginning at verse 18. And uh, this section is about Jehu, king of Israel, who followed Ahab. And uh, Ahab was probably the worst of Israel's kings and promoted Baal worship together with his wife Jezebel. After he died, Jehu executed all the family members uh, of Ahab, of King Ahab. Uh, including his wife Jezebel. Uh, And then the story takes up in verse 18 of chapter 10. So 2 Kings 10, beginning at verse 18. Then Jehu assembled all the people and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his worshippers and all his priests. Let none be missing, For I have a great sacrifice to offer to Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshippers of Baal. And Jehu ordered, sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent throughout all Israel and all the worshippers of Baal came so that there was not a man left who did not come. And they entered the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was filled from one end to the other. He said to him who was in charge of the wardrobe, Bring out the vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. So he brought out the vestments for them. Then Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, And he said to the worshippers of Baal, Search and see that there is no servant of the Lord here among you, but only the worshippers of Baal. Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had stationed 80 men outside and said, The man who allows any of those whom I give into your hands to escape shall forfeit his life. So as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the officers, go in and smite them down, let not a man escape. And so when they put them to the sword, the guard and the officers cast them out and went into the inner room of the house of Baal and they, and they brought out the pillar that was in the house of Baal and burned it. And they demolished the pillar of Baal and demolished the house of Baal and made it a latrine to this day. Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according to all that was in my heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. Hazael defeated them throughout the territory of Israel, from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites, from the Aroah, which is in the valley of the Arnon, that is Gilead and Bashan. And now the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jehu slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. <coughs> and Jehu <coughs> sorry uh, and Jehu Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. The time that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. And now uh, let me lead you in prayer. Our dear God, we do want to thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you when it speaks to us in comforting and soothing ways. But Lord, we also want to thank you for its warnings. Lord, we thank you even for a difficult passage like this. And Lord, we also want to thank you for Clinton's ministry and for the way in which he has opened up these difficult passages for us. We also pray that you will guide him today as he explains and applies this passage. And Lord, we pray that through your Spirit we might receive it in our hearts. Lord, we pray for us as a church. We pray, Lord, that you will work deeply among us. We pray, Lord, that your Word will transform us. We pray that as individuals we might be the people that you want us to be. We also pray that as a church We will more and more be the community that you want us to be. Lord, we also want to pray this morning for the work of the Hub. Uh, We thank you for them, we thank you for their enthusiasm, for their youthfulness, for their vitality. And Lord, we thank you too that you are adding to their number. We pray that you will continue to give them encouragement. We also thank you for Phil as he offers leadership And thank you for the way in which you have strengthened and guided him over these last couple of years. We also pray that as he will be examined soon and uh, take his leadership to a new level, we pray that you'll help him in studying for these exams, that it won't be just a chore to work through. But Lord, we also pray that that might be spiritual uplifting for him, and we pray that he might be able to give a good account of himself. And Lord, we also thank you for the young people in our church who are about to profess their faith. Thank you, Lord, for bringing them to this point in their lives. Lord, we thank you for their faith in you. We thank you for their growth spiritually. And we pray that as a congregation, we might continue uh, to encourage them and to build them up. Uh, Lord, we also pray for Paige Costa this morning and the musical group as they travel to Europe. Uh, We thank you for that wonderful opportunity that you are giving to her. Uh, We pray that you'll keep them all safe. We pray that they might be able to enjoy themselves. We pray that they might know your care and come back uh, with a lot of stories to tell and with a lot of encouragement to offer. And Lord, we also pray for the gospel work in India. And thank you that as churches we're able to support that work. We thank you for the wonderful reports that we hear. We thank you of many who have already been baptised and those who are planning to be baptised. And Lord, we pray that you'll indeed continue to encourage that work. Uh, We pray for those who find it hard, those who are being persecuted, uh, those who have little in the way of material possessions. Lord, we pray that you'll please uphold them and also uphold them through the gifts that we offer. Lord, we pray particularly for the pastors, we ask that you'll sustain them, we pray that you'll give them strength and courage, and Lord, we pray that this work may continue to flourish. We also think of Simon and Lydia Vanderwell, uh, who many of us know, and we ask that you'll bless them as they make their way to India, and as they work amongst the village people there. And We thank you for the wonderful work that you are doing throughout India, and we pray that they too might see your blessing and your presence with them uh, as they go to that great country. And Lord, we also pray this morning for the situation in our own country, in the church in our land. And we can't help but think of the trial of Cardinal Pell that is coming up soon. And Lord, sometimes we don't know what to make of this. But Lord, we pray that whatever happens, we pray that justice will be done... We pray that Christ will be honoured. And Lord, so often we pray for the revival of your church in Australia. But Lord, we pray that not only will you revive your church, we also pray that you will purify your church. And Lord, we pray that as Christians we might be and we might model lives of purity. We also pray for those in Christian leadership that their lives might be pure and examples for others to follow. And therefore, Lord, we commit this case that will have so much attention even worldwide. We commit it into your care. And we pray, Lord, for the best possible outcome. We pray that people will not blaspheme your name on account of what has happened or what will happen. But Lord, we pray that your name will be glorified, your church will be purified, and your gospel will spread. And Lord, we also pray for the country of North Korea and we realize the threat that that poses to our region. And Lord, we pray for Kim Jong-un, and we ask that either you will improve him or remove him. And we pray that he may not be a threat to other countries in his neighborhood and to the wider region. But Lord, we pray that you will bring peace and stability also to that land. Be with those who live in poverty, be with your church that suffers much persecution. And Lord, we join our prayers with the Christians of South Korea that that land will again be a land that is free, that is open to the gospel and where your gospel can be proclaimed. And Lord, we also pray this morning for the land of Syria uh, with all its problems and all its tragedies and all its bloodshed. And Lord, we pray that you'll bring peace there and may it too be the peace of Christ and the peace of the gospel. And therefore, Lord, we bring this world before you with all its hurts and all its pain. And, Lord, we look forward to the day when Christ will come again and will restore this earth to bring about a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and peace will reign supreme. We pray it in his name and for his sake. Amen. Uh,
1: Thank you, Steve. While Steve was praying, I realized that I made a mistake. Offering was for the hub and not for the Solomon Islands. Uh, If you gave the wrong thing, I could say you could go and get it, uh, but maybe talk to Andrew. I I don't know. Sorry, I made a mistake. Hopefully, it evens out and you're okay uh, with that. If not, talk to Andrew uh, about what we can do. Um, We have nearly made it. Uh, This is Sermon 9 out of 10 uh, in the life and ministry of Elisha, um, he actually doesn't get a mention today, but we understand this is sort of a carry on from what he set in motion last week. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to take a, a one week break because it is our classes' pulpit swap uh, where everybody gets shifted around and we've actually, uh, because of some abnormalities in that shift, uh, we've got Martin Williams uh, here bringing God's word next Sunday. So that's always something to look forward to. Sunday after that, uh, we're going to finish off the story of Elisha, uh, we're going to finish off with his death, um, and then in August, we've got our Got Questions series. Uh, thank you for those who started bringing me questions over the last week, it's been excellent, um, I have enough to last us about seven years uh, at the moment, um, which is good, so I'm just going to pick the ones I can do um, this year. Uh, anything that's too hard, I'm going to leave for uh, your next pastor, or something along those lines, um Uh, when that comes about. So um, yeah, anyway, that's where we're going. If you do have a question, do ask it. Um, It might be an easy one, so I might choose it. Um, So you can still get in uh, and be lucky enough to get in uh, this year. All right, uh, let's pray before we uh, get into this passage, shall we? Lord God, as uh, Steve's already said, we do thank you for your word, the Bible. Uh, We thank you for these hard passages uh, and the warnings that it brings us. And we pray, Lord God, that uh, you would uh, speak to us in the way that that we need to be spoken to this morning. And Lord God, if that's, that's harshly and strongly, we pray that you would speak strongly to us. Uh, if it's gently, we pray that you would speak gently uh, and that your word would do its work in our lives, uh, transforming us, changing us uh, into the image of your son, Jesus, uh, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Now, a number of years ago, about 20-odd years ago, I remember hearing a comment uh, about a footballer, a very famous footballer uh, by the name of Gary Ablett. Uh, Not the Gary Ablett that runs around today, uh, but his dad, who was a very good footballer uh, and was often called by people, God. And the comment went along these lines, uh, I now know why they call Gary Ablett, God. Uh, It's because you don't hear from him for three quarters, and then he comes along in the last quarter and he blows you away. Uh, It carried the idea, uh, behind that comment is carried the idea uh, that God, whatever or whoever he is, uh, is pretty uninvolved in life in general, uh, pretty uninvolved in our day to day, um, but God is in the end going to show up uh, and he's going to bring judgment. He's going to punish uh, those who do wrong and he's going to reward uh, those who do good. This is an idea which is uh, relatively prevalent uh, in our society. If you do believe in a God, uh, the believer he's unattached but one day may show up, uh, it's actually an idea which is reasonably prevalent prevalent uh, in the Christian church today as well. Uh, Now last week, we started looking at this judgment uh, that God is bringing through the new king of Israel, through Jehu. Uh, We started looking, if you flick back uh, at chapter 9, we saw that he brought that judgment according to the word of God, the promise made to Elisha the prophet, the prophet before Sorry, Elijah the prophet, the one before Elisha. Uh, And Ahab, the the wicked king, his family line is being wiped out. Uh, Joram, the king at the time, he is killed. Uh, Jezebel, his mother, is killed. Uh, Ahaziah, uh, which is kind of like Joram's cousin-in-law, the king of Judah in the south, south, he is also killed. And we saw, we saw that judgment, judgment is not just something that God is bringing in the future. Uh, yes, it's true that one day Jesus will come back and he will judge the living and the dead. He will judge everyone and everything. But judgment is not just about the future. Uh, God's judgment has come in the past as well. And today we are going to suggest that God's judgment even comes uh, today in the present too. We also had a look and we saw three reasons, or three of the reasons, why God brings judgment. Uh, We looked at the reason of justice, uh, that God through judgment brings justice uh, to those who have been wronged. We looked at punishment, uh, that God brings about a punishment on those who have committed wrong, both against others and against God. And we looked at peace, that the result of the judgment that God brings is peace between him and his people and for people themselves. Well, today we're going to carry on in this story, and we're going to have a look at two more reasons why God is bringing judgment. Now, as Steve mentioned, uh, you'll notice that we've skipped over a part of the story here. Uh, the first part of chapter 10. Uh, A particularly bloodthirsty uh, 17 verses of the Bible. Um, We have recorded at least 110 deaths uh, in that passage, plus others uh, who we we don't know how many they were. Uh, There are the 70 uh, sons of of Joram uh, who are living in Samaria. Uh, Jehu is very clever. He is very cunning in the way that he does this. Um, he kind of incites their deaths, but doesn't participate in them physically. So he can sort of say, look what other people uh, have done. Uh, he then goes ahead and he kills 42 of the family of Ahaziah, the, the king in the south, uh, as they're making their way through Israel. Uh, and then it says that he also wiped out other people in uh, Jezreel and other people uh, in Samaria. Now, right towards the end of that passage, the end of that section... Uh, Jehu, on his way into the capital city, Samaria, uh, picks up a random guy uh, called Jehonadab. It, it feels very, very random. Uh, this guy sort of picks him up, and he brings him into Samaria, uh, and we're going to look at what, what he views and what he sees later. But um, well, I want to suggest that often when there is something really random in the Bible, <laughs> it's not so random, it, it's there for a reason, and we're going to have a look at that. Uh, a little later on today. All right, what we're going to do today, we're going to make our way through this part of the story. We're going to look at the two sections uh, that are there, and we're going to look at two more reasons uh, why God has brought, will bring, and is bringing judgment into this world. Uh, So let's start then at verse 18, where Jehu in his chariot comes uh, with Jehonadab uh, into the capital city of Samaria. And we read that the first thing that he does uh, is he makes this incredible statement there in verse 18. He says, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. And all of a sudden, we get a little bit nervous, don't we? Uh, here was the guy that was meant to be bringing an end to that, all that sort of thing, and then now he is saying, I'm going to serve Baal a lot. Uh, but... The author, the writer here, gives us a little bit of a glimpse behind the scenes uh, in verse, uh, the end of verse 19. Uh, but Jehu does this with cunning in order to destroy the worshippers of Baal. So Jehu puts in a plan where he is going to have maximum impact in destroying Baal. And what he does is he, he calls throughout the land, we're going to hold a massive worship service for Baal. Uh, I want every genuine Baal worshipper to come here. In fact, he even says, if you don't come here, I will put you to death. Pretty clever, isn't he? Gets everybody to come together, all in the same room. Now, did you notice, as we're reading through this, the language that it uses to describe this worship service? It's almost identical language, words, Used to describe the worship of the true God in the temple in Jerusalem. Did you notice that? Look at look at some of the words that it uses there. Uh, it uses prophets, not prophets of the Lord, but prophets of Baal. It talks about sacrifices. It talks about worshippers. It talks about a temple of Baal. It talks about vestments or garments that the worshippers were to wear. It even talks about an inner room in the temple of Baal. What's, what's happened here? Israel have taken all of the things that God had given them to worship him, the true, the living, the real God, and they had just adopted it and said, well, we're going to use those things to worship Baal. They have a temple and in a centra, worship, sacrifices, burnt offerings. It's all there. Now think about that for a moment. Think about that from where God stands. We don't often do this, do we? We don't often pause to think about what God thinks, or not so much thinks, what does God think? Feel about that situation. Here are, here is a people that he has rescued and nurtured and loved for his very own. Out of all the nations of the earth, he picked Israel, not because they were better, obviously. He brought them out of Egypt. He gave them a land of bounty that they did nothing to work for. (laughs) He gave them cities that they didn't build. He gave them fruit and crops that they didn't plant. He was generous to them and he was faithful to them. And here is his people who have taken all of that and said, Thank you, Baal for all that you've done for us. How does God feel? In a way, we actually don't need to imagine it. Uh, God describes this uh, through the prophet Hosea, uh, a little later on in your Bible. If you want to read the first few chapters of that book sometime. uh, To illustrate how God feels, he gets Hosea the prophet to marry an unfaithful wife. She runs after other men. And Hosea is to keep loving her and taking her back. And again, she runs away. That's what God's people have done to God. Been unfaithful to a loving, faithful God and husband. We don't think about this very often do we but this is this is what happens when God's people take all the good things that God has to give all the blessings and the benefits and then chase after something else whether it's a God of stone Whether it's another joy, a different peace, another saviour, a different God, something to love, something to find your value and your worth and your meaning in. This is what we do when we take all the good things that God has given us and we go chasing after something else. But well, it helps put in context what happens next, doesn't it? Helps us understand what happens. Because as the worship service for Baal reaches a crescendo, uh, Jehu steps out of the temple. Uh, he's been in there with Jehonadab. Remember that? Jehonadab has seen all of this. He steps out and outside he has 80 80 guards. It says, go in there and strike them all down. And they do it. Uh, they go in there and they slaughter. Uh, they go into the inner in its part of the temple. They bring out the stone, the pillar of Baal. Uh, they break it to pieces. They pull down the temple and put rocks all over it. And it says that they use it as a toilet, uh, that site, uh, from then on cunning plan Uh, this judgment is total and it's degrading and it says in verse 28 then Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel now why? why why is God doing this? here's the fourth reason for judgment God is doing this to restore his honor and his glory in the land at that god is restoring the glory and the honor which is due to him and to him alone by wiping out that which dishonors him by removing all that causes his people to not be faithful to him now the prophets uh, again and again have this line that god speaks and it's this line that says Cut off from the land. I will cut off from the land. I will cut off from the land. What What is God saying when he, when he uses that phrase? He's saying, I'm going to remove from amongst you all that does not honor me, all that hinders people from being faithful to me, all that stops people worshiping me and giving me the glory that I am due. God is concerned about his honor. He is working for his glory here on earth. That passage that we read from Malachi asked that question, isn't it? If I am a father, if I am a master, where is the honor due my name? Do we think about that often? not sure if we do i'm not sure if we really think about the honor that is due to god the glory which is his jesus did Uh, jesus when he was on earth uh, he prays in john 17 uh, glorify your son so that the Son may glorify you. He was concerned about God's glory, glory of the Father. Uh, he also says a little later on in that prayer, I glorified you on earth. In uh, the book of Ephesians, Paul is concerned about the glory of God, honor due to God. Uh, he He prays uh, that God uh, might be honored uh, in the church and in Jesus Christ now and forevermore. The book of Revelation is filled, filled with images of people giving honor and glory to God. This is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to restore God's honor here on earth. He's come to restore God's honor by creating for himself a people who are God's very own. People who have cut off from their lives all that hinders the true honor and the true worship of the God who has given us life. This is what Jesus is going to do, finish, when he comes back. When he executes judgment on earth, when he creates the new heavens and the new earth, he is going to restore God's glory. He's going to cut off from this earth everything that does not bring glory to God, does not honor him. And he's going to cut off everything that stops his people from living for him and for living for him alone. In that regard, in that regard, we should long for, we should long for the judgment of God to come. Shouldn't we? We should should be keen to see God's judgment come in that it cuts off things that do not honor honor God and that it removes from removes from this world things that stop us from worshiping God as we should the judgment of God is something that Christians should pray for and wait for and long for as God uses it to restore his honor But I also want to make the suggestion, I also want to make the suggestion that this is judgment or a part of judgment that God is bringing into this world today, in the here and now. This is a a part of the bigger picture of judgment that God is working at in our world and even in our lives. (coughs) Have you ever said. Uh, I feel like God is punishing me for something. Uh, not out loud, of course, because no one, no one admits that out loud. If you, ever, if you ever said to yourself, or maybe to a really close friend, I feel like God is punishing me for something. Can I suggest that you're right? Not quite, but sort of. <laughs> God, is, God is bringing on our lives different part of his judgment it's not punishment okay we'll we'll make that clear okay if we belong to him our punishment is born in its completion in Christ it's done with but he is restoring his honor and his glory in our lives and the way that he does that is so often through hardship, and difficulty. God brings judgment on our lives, that's part of judgment, to refine our lives so that we increasingly reflect Christ, we increasingly live for God and His glory. The book of Hebrews writes that we should endure all hardship is discipline. That process where God shapes, molds, corrects our lives to live for Him more and more. So, so can I say, if, if you're feeling like you're, you're under the judgment of God at the moment, if you feel like you're being punished for something, c- can I encourage you, uh, don't be disheartened by that. Don't, don't feel like it means that God is, is rejecting you or, or God is forgetting about you or God is specifically wanting to punish you for a sin. It's, it's not that. It's incredibly a sign that He loves us. He's disciplining us. He's shaping us, cutting away that which rebels And that which is cold. That which is against him. And he's shaping and refining our lives. So that we give him glory. And we give him honor. He's an expert at it. Okay, Uh, He's been doing it for thousands of years. Like, Like the perfect surgeon... His knife always goes exactly where it needs to go. It never slips. He never mucks up. He never has to go back and patch something up that he did wrong. He knows where to cut, he knows what needs to go. So trust him in that process. Know that it's a sign that that he loves us like his children. If you've been through a time like that and you can, you can look back, and this is how often how it happens, isn't it, that we get to look back and see, see that that's what God was doing. We felt at the time like we're cast aside. We're lost to God. We look back and we say, no, 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 it was, it was him shaping and refining our lives. If you've been through that, encourage other people with those stories. Point to God's goodness and his, the way that he carries us through it, the way that he's faithful through it. Remind people who are going through it. This is the loving cuts of a father who is shaping you, who is changing you for his glory and for his purposes. All right, let's move on. That's the fourth reason that we see for, uh, for judgment, uh, that God is restoring his glory in his people uh, and in our lives as well. Let's move on into this final section, starting there at verses 28 and 29, which gives us a summary of Jehu's life and his Jehu's reign. And here we get, of course, a mixture of both the good and the bad. Uh, The good there is in verse 28. uh, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. So Jehu does this wonderful thing. (coughs) He's used by God to wipe out this false religion, this false god, from the land. But verse 29 starts ominously. But... Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. What has Jehu done? Jehu has done so much. Uh, He has, you know, wiped out uh, Joram and his family. He's wiped out Baal. Um, But he doesn't turn aside from the false religion, the worship of God. Uh, through the golden calves which jeroboam had set up when the la- when the nation had split the same thing we, we see there in uh in verse uh 29 30 and 31 the lord said to jehu because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of ahab according to what was in my heart your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Iz- of of israel this is a little bit like a backhanded compliment uh, you will have a son sit to the fourth generation where else does God where else does God use the phrase fourth generation <laughs> he uses it <laughs> to talk about those on whom he brings punishment to the third and the fourth generation <laughs> but showing love to a thousand generations <laughs> of those who love me and keep my commandments because that is exactly what Jehu has not done. Verse 31. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. And he did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to commit to sin. How can this be? How, how, do, we get, how do we get Jehu uh, used by God, uh, bringing about judgment, and? Uh, has zeal for the Lord, uh, used so much by God, and yet ultimately comes under the judgment of God. I want you to turn with me in in your Bible to the book of Hosea. We've mentioned it already this morning. um, Hosea uh, chapter 1. If you're struggling, uh, if you find, hit Daniel, uh, go one to the right. Uh, Hosea chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 4. And the Lord uh, said to him, this is God speaking to Hosea uh, with his unfaithful wife and his children uh, born to him. Uh, This is uh, a child born to him. Call his name Jezreel. Jezreel, we remember where that is? It's The place where Joram and Jezebel came to their untimely end. Well, timely end probably. Uh, for in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to her, Call her name no mercy. For no I will have for I will have sorry, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. Now jump down to verse eleven. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. What's happening here? God is bringing about a day which he calls the day of Jezreel. The day which is reminiscent of the day in which Jehu brought God's judgment on Joram, Ahab, Jezebel, that whole kingdom. It's a day of terrible tragedy and a day of great restoration. What's happening? Jehu, Jehu is going to come, have come on him his own day of judgment. His own day of Jezreel why is he going to have that because in in executing god's judgment jehu was being warned jehu was getting a pretty clear picture of what happens when you're a king and you don't honor god and what happened with jehu and his judgment his revolution his rebellion It was a mile wide, wasn't it? It covered everyone and everything. You know, he just destroyed. But it was about this deep. Uh, It was a judgment that was wide, but it didn't cut to his own heart, did it? He did not walk in the ways of the Lord. Fifth and final reason we want to see for the judgment that God brings. Judgment that has been, judgment that comes, judgment that we know is coming is a warning. It is a warning from God to be ready. It's a warning from God of what happens. When your heart is not right. When your personal revolution goes wide, but it doesn't go deep. Now, the wrong response from this would be to say, hang on, I've got to try harder. I've got to pull my socks up. I've got to change this about my life and this about my life and this about my life. I've got I've got to, I've got to change all of these things so that so when judgment comes I'll, I'll be safe. Wrong idea. That's personal revolution that is wide, but it's not deep. We need something, a judgment that changes our hearts. You realize that there's a comparison? Uh, being made here uh, with Jehu, uh, and that's our friend Jehonadab. Remember him, random guy. Jehu picks up. He was there in the temple of Baal. Okay, so 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 Jehu's brought him in. He's seen the slaughter. He's seen the judgment. He, he's seen all the destruction uh, that's gone on. Now, Jehonadab disappears from then except for one, one more time. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 35. Here God is speaking (laughs) uh, to Judah, uh, the southern kingdom. Uh, He's speaking to them about their lack of faithfulness to God. And what he does is he brings in Jehonadab or Jonadab. It's a variation on the spelling. Uh, he brings in his descendants. And he says, says this, verse 5. Uh, then I set before the Rechabites, Jehonadab, uh, son of uh, Recham, uh, Rechab, remember? Uh, pitchers full of wine. And cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they will not, But they, uh, sorry, but they answered, we will not, uh, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, you shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, you shall not sow seed, you shall not plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in tents all your days, so that you may live many days in the land's where you so, John? We have obeyed the voice of Jonadab the son of Rechab. What's happened here? Uh, this tribe, this family line, uh, had a forefather who saw firsthand, who experienced the judgment that God brought, and he was he was firm to command his descendants. To live in a particular way in the land in the light of that judgment. And so here, Jeremiah, he brings, he brings this family line in and he says, he says to Judah, look at them. They saw judgment and they responded. But you have not. They become a sign or a symbol of repentance, of turning to God, of living for him. And at the end of that chapter, uh, Jeremiah says to him, because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab your father and kept all his precepts and done for all, all the commanded, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall never lack a man to stand before me. Their faithfulness is rewarded. Here is judgment that is cut to the heart. Here is a judgment that has brought conviction and a change of heart and a change of life. That's the judgment that you and I need. A judgment that cuts to the heart, that changes hearts and really changes life wonderfully that is the judgment that God has brought in Christ on him has been laid sin guilt punishment he has borne our every sin on the cross here was brought the judgment that changes hearts do we believe that judgment is coming there might be some of us here who who really don't think too much about it maybe it's because we don't really we don't really believe that it's going to come god's too nice for all that sort of stuff maybe we don't think much about it because we just think it's for really really bad people We'll be okay. Uh, maybe, maybe we think about it in terms of, yeah, it's going to get all those nasty people. But I'll be okay. Uh, there is a danger that we're prepared for that judgment in the wrong way, because there's only one way to respond. And that's to know Jesus. To know that he stood in our place. To trust that he took what we deserve. To come to him for, for a change of heart that results in a change of life. If you, if you need to be ready... Wonderful job. The wonderful news is that God is ready, He's ready to receive you, He's ready to give you a new heart, a new life, Uh, He's ready to change you from the inside out. It's not going to be an easy road. Let me put it out there. Um, He will keep doing that refining work in our lives, and that work is. Usually painful, um, but it will be a worthwhile road to have a Heavenly Father take us into His care, take us into His family uh, now and forever. Let's pray to Him, shall we? Uh, Lord God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that you are restoring. Uh, Your honor and your glory on earth through your son, Jesus. And we thank you that you are restoring your honor and your glory in our lives. Uh, We pray, Lord God, for that work. We pray that we would be ready uh, with changed hearts, with new hearts, uh, with lives which were being shaped uh, by your son, Jesus. Uh, We thank you for him. We thank you for his wonderful, gracious sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that he is coming back uh, to take us to be with you forever. In his name we pray. Amen.